This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Gotham City is out of control. An entire city screaming in fear. Super villains walk the streets, preying on the innocent. They will learn the true nature of power. The police are powerless. A creature prowls this urban wasteland. Is that? He moves in darkness. For some, he is a rumor. A name whispered in the corridors of the underworld. Waiting for the chance to strike. Let every criminal know the acid taste of fear. You're crazy! Gotham has forgotten what justice means. The Dark Knight is here to remind them. Batman. Good guys wear black. Welcome, everybody, to episode 154 of the DCAU Review. I am Liam, and with me, as he always is, is my good brother and my friend and my co-host, Cal. Cal, we are just trotting right along through the month of April, and we're back with another episode of Batman to cover. That's right. We are back where it all began, uh, where the DCAU began, where uh, you and I began this podcast, uh, where our love for Batman originated. So much uh, greatness started here with Batman the Animated Series. So very excited to continue here in the month of April with more Batman the Animated Series. And uh, Liam, we've had two really good episodes the last two weeks uh, that we've covered, so I'm excited to see if that trend continues as we are discussing uh, maybe one of the lesser known or or maybe uh, one of those non-so-pivotal episodes when you're thinking of uh, Batman the Animated Series, but uh, is definitely another plot-driven episode, that being, of course, Paging the Crime Doctor. That's right. There's a lot going on here. No big colorful supervillains to be seen this week. It's a it's an interesting sort of mob-driven story. Batman really isn't the focus of the story once again this week as uh focuses more on this character, but we'll get into all of the specifics of that in our four main categories in just a moment. But first, Cal, I of course must kick us off with the official IMDb synopsis for this week's episode. That's right. And uh, this episode originally aired on September the 17th, 1993 on Fox Kids, which means we are just about to celebrate the 28 year anniversary of this episode's original debut. That's right. And this episode, Paging the Crime Doctor, was written by four people, believe it or not. Mike Barr, Laren Bright, Randy Rogel, and Martin Pascoe, all credited with story on this week's episode it was directed by frank parr with music by shirley walker and animation by dong yang and that synopsis reads as such crime boss rupert thorne forces his older brother a doctor to perform delicate surgery on rupert and he kidnaps dr leslie tompkins to assist 
Whoa, that's a big and add-on there. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> it's not. It's that's kind of actually a pivotal point to the plot. So to kind of have it be an afterthought at the end there of like, oh yeah, also he kidnaps Leslie Tompkins in order for to make it happen. But yeah, no, that's that's yeah. just a minor plot. Oh, by the way, <laughs> yeah, it's only the whole linchpin for the episode. But right, yeah, we can uh, we can jump into plot from uh, from there as uh, as our synopsis uh, suggests. Uh, we we open. Uh, it's an interesting start to the episode. We have uh, some some thugs seemingly stealing some medical equipment. Batman runs afoul of them and is in fact injured in the fight. And uh, from there, we we cut to this sort of dingy uh, underground doctor's office where we see this older man. And uh, crime boss Rupert Thorne pays him a visit, and we quickly find out that not only are they brothers, but that Matthew Thorne actually lost his medical license after he apparently lied about taking a bullet out of Rupert Thorne on a previous hospital stay of his and has sort of been forced to continue his work as a doctor without a license and is, I guess, sort of just a patch-up man for the mob now. Yeah, the first the, the first introduction that we get is uh, is Dr. Matthew Thorne is finishing up some work as as Rupert Thorne walks in and it's a, kind of a throwaway line if you're not really paying attention to it something that as a child you probably didn't think twice of but uh the the person that he's finishing up on mentions that that uh oh no more fingerprints a eh, Mr. Thorne so or Dr. Thorne so uh yeah he's certainly doing some less than <laughs> uh less than uh above the uh above board stuff at, when it comes to his medical profession at this point. And uh, yeah, we do learn very quickly that that was a direct result of him refusing to sort of uh, compromise. And uh, it, it's ultimately sort of Rupert Thorne's fault because Rupert Thorne didn't want, uh, didn't want to be it, some of his dealings to be brought to the light based on that, which is why he had uh, his brother take out this bullet uh, undercover, but as uh, as they kind of get into it and that some of the maybe uh, growing animosity that Matthew Thorne has with his brother, despite his brother continuing to bring him in the latest in technology and and seemingly funding uh, his underground practice. Uh, that also seems to be a little bit self-serving and helping uh, his his men and helping helping him out. Uh, Rupert Thorne uh, seems to have a bit of a uh, a reaction and maybe a, a bit of a heart attack. To what do I owe this unexpected pleasure, Rupert? I brought you some more equipment, the latest in medical technology. After all, nothing's too good for my brother, the crime doctor. Oh, great, a laser. For all that critical brain surgery I'll be doing on my distinguished patients. Still, after all these years, still such contempt. Now why would I have contempt for the man who made me what I am today? How would I know? I'm the fool who keeps giving you everything you want, even though you act like an ungrateful punk. What I want is to be a real doctor, Rupert, with a respectable practice. Is it my fault you lost your license? I would have reported that bullet to the police, as I was supposed to. But no, you insisted. You knew what I turned into before you took that slug out of me, Matthew. So for that, I get to spend the rest of my life like this? I had much bigger plans, and you know it, you vulgar. Don't you ever talk to me like that! Me, who gave up everything so you could... So you 
could. On the table with him, stacked. In the meantime, uh, we flash to a uh, to a the Thomas Wayne Memorial Free Clinic, where uh, we know that uh, Dr. Leslie Tompkins, friend of uh, of of Bruce and and uh, of Bruce's father, and uh, we actually learn a little bit of her backstory in this. But uh, she was, of course, free, uh, previously featured in uh, Appointment in Crime Alley, and uh, we know knows Batman's secret and. Batman wanders into her office after experiencing having this this uh, it, this run in with Rupert Thorne's men where uh, we find out that uh, Bruce may have had a concussion or two, I think. <laughs> certainly not <laughs> not not the first time and certainly probably not the last time based on some of the action that we see. But uh, this occurred when when uh, one of Rupert Thorne's men uh, used a a. Uh, a laser, a medical laser, prototype medical laser, and shot it at him, kind of grazing his head. Uh, so we find out that Bruce uh, has sustained a concussion, which comes into play a little bit later on. But uh, there's an interesting interaction that he has with Leslie Tompkins there. And uh, we, we end up seeing this photo of her and uh, Bruce's father on the wall. And she sort of sort of mentions that uh, that Bruce's father uh, always said that he was r rather stubborn from a young age. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good job, I think, because that helps, I think, to ha have this episode stand on its own so that you don't necessarily need to have seen uh, Leslie's previous appearances, like an appointment in Crime Alley. You, you're, it's very quickly reestablished that she's an old family friend and that she's known Bruce for years, that she knows he's Batman. And that she is, you know, as as trusted an ally as he has outside of, uh, you know, Alfred and, and maybe Robin. So uh, I, I I liked that. And then from there, yeah, we we uh, through some more expositional dialogue as as uh, you know, Rupert Thorne just refuses to go to a hospital to get what we I guess find out is something of a tumor near his heart, and uh, and he he needs to have it removed by surgery and uh, is refusing to go to a hospital. And and so Matt. Matt, the uh, the crime doctor, says that he it, the only way he could possibly uh, operate on Rupert in secret would be if he had his old friend Leslie Tompkins' help. And so there's a uh, they they go to her clinic at night as it's closing down and uh, and and kidnap her and and, and take her by force and and she does <laughs> assist him in saving Rupert Thorne's life, it appears. But we, uh, of course, as soon as they're done, then we are dealing with the mob after all. And so they, uh, <laughs> they very quickly uh, plan to, uh, to uh, eliminate her as a, as a witness. And that's sort of when, when Matt Thorne can no longer take it and he can no longer kind of deal with the, the guilt of, of this and he can't allow his old friend to be killed. And so he uh, sort of outsmarts the... Uh, Rupert's thugs and and sort of starts to get away and and thankfully by then Batman has sort of begun to intervene and get sort of a, a dramatic ending as they're trying to jump across a rooftop and and Leslie falls only to be caught by Batman at the last second and you know it's not a it's not a big heavy action story but uh, but uh, it is kind of a fun thrilling last couple minutes there and you do have a little bit extra drama I think because. Yeah, these are just regular kind of run-of-the-mill mob guys, but it is Batman's obviously injured coming into the fight. Plus, he has this personal connection to Leslie. So I think it's it's not just your average. You know, you 
I think that that is what the drama is more than, you know, these guys are such a physical threat to Batman would be at least not normally they wouldn't be. But I think because you have him coming into the battle injured and you have uh, and you have Leslie there, that kind of adds to the suspense. Yeah, it definitely does. And there, there's a little bit um, it, in the first scene that uh, where where Matthew Thorne goes to to kidnap uh, Leslie. First of all, he makes it known uh, when Rupert Thorne Rupert Thorne finds out that uh, that Matthew has a has a a connection or somebody that that uh, resource that he can use to help him. He's very quick to say, "Well, I'll go get him. I'll go get him for you." Uh, first of all, very chauvinistic of of Rupert Thorne to assume that it was a man. Uh, I, I think that's pretty much a cancelable offense in 2021. Right. But, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, R- Rupert Thorne thinking, well, I- I'll go get him. But it- it's interesting because it's the first first kind of glimpse that we get that um, maybe Matthew Thorne not only begrudgingly is doing this, but is kind of looking for a way out and has more of a heart. Uh, while he, he's kind of torn between wanting to help and save his brother, he also uh, knows that Leslie is the only person that that he can trust that can kind of help him, despite apparently not seeing her for many, many years. Uh, but he also still cares for her enough to not just send the thugs in on their own. Uh, so that's when he goes with them to break in and kidnap her. Uh, and he even has a little bit of dialogue where he he tries to coerce her to go along with it, um, you know, it, quietly and without force. And uh, of course, Leslie, Leslie being the good soul that she is, is not interested in any financial compensation and knows what type of uh, strings are attached with mob money. So she isn't interested in that. But there is an interesting interaction between the two of them where you really kind of get this backstory that... Uh, both uh, both Matt and and uh, Leslie were in medical school with with Thomas Wayne. Remember when I took this big AMA mixer graduation week at the Waldorf? Remember, and they booked Benny Goodman. Matt, Matt Thorne. I'd heard things about you, Matt. The word was you were still practicing, without a license. I heard other things, too. Looks like most of them are true. Now about this friend in trouble. It's me. Because of what a certain patient of mine will do to me if I don't operate on him. But I can't do it alone, and he won't let me check him into county. So you want me to assist? Forget it. Look, there'll be a lot of money in it for you. I know what kind of money that is. Get out. I'm sorry you feel that way. No. Leave me alone. So you, you suddenly have this connection between not only 
Matthew uh, Thorne and Leslie, but also this connection between Bruce and Matthew Thorne that Bruce doesn't quite realize until he and Alfred go to investigate the break-in at Leslie's uh, clinic. And they see this inscription that he's put on the back or that this inscription that's been written on this back of Leslie Tompkins and, and Thomas Wayne, which by the way, that picture, do you think that was insinuating in some way that maybe Thomas Wayne and Leslie Tompkins had a thing at one point? You know, I hadn't really thought about that, but I mean, it's it's a possibility. <laughs> I mean, because they never really imply that the uh, Thorn and Leslie thing was romantic and uh, uh, not as if, you know, men and women can't be friends or colleagues or whatever. But yeah, I, I do wonder that there's there was clearly she was she was a very close to that family. And yeah, I think that's that could be a little <laughs> bit of an implication there. Not that there was anything going on post, you know, oh, Thomas no, I and got Martha, you. Martha yeah, yeah, getting yeah. together, but it's interesting that that photo looked, at least the way that it was drawn, the photo of them looked, they looked very cozy together. And, yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting. Bruce asks, uh, asks Alfred specifically if he remembered a mat and, uh, and Alfred actually much like last week and last week's episode is sort of Bruce's sounding board to kind of put things together as he's sort of doing his detective work and, uh, Alfred says that he does recall that uh, that that uh, Thomas had mentioned to Matthew at one point, and that they were colleagues and called themselves the Three Musketeers between the three of them. So very very interesting. Maybe it was all completely platonic, but uh, maybe Head Cannon says that uh, Thomas and and Leslie had uh, had some romantic uh, relations beforehand, and that's why maybe why she felt such a a close connection with Bruce, not, not in a romantic way, but just a, in a caring, loving way and why that, mm. that friendship went beyond the, uh, the grave for, for the, for Thomas and Martha. So uh, yeah, a little bit of headcanon there, but yeah, I think, I think it's interesting because you're right. There isn't a whole lot of action. There's a couple of uh, that opening scene actually, I think has, has a lot of action in it. And uh, but then it is a very dialogue heavy driven uh, conversation between both uh, the Thorne brothers and then uh, Matthew Thorne and, and Leslie and then Bruce and Leslie and Alfred and Bruce. And then we get a little bit of action towards the end as Bruce has to come in and, and take on the thugs. And, um, and then again, it's, it's sort of, it's the little bit of drama at the end and, and action that takes place is, is based on the the sort of tension of is Leslie gonna gonna fall from the top of this building, um, so yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not action packed, and it, but I think that this is another case of one of those episodes where watching it as a as a child, it definitely was not one of my favorite episodes, um, but I think watching it now through adult eyes and recognizing what an interesting story, you know, to have a have a guy who who basically gave up his his career in order to defend you know to keep his brother's secret a safe he he cares for his brother so much he decided to you know to give up his career to protect him um so he kind of has this misplaced love and affection for his brother and and a sense of a sense of uh owing what you know owing something to him and then uh but then realizes he has this conversation at the end when he's kind of faced with 
choosing this career, getting his career back, the thing that he's been wanting so badly for this, this period of time, ever since he lost his license and the, you know, putting somebody else's life uh, in, in, in its place and trading a, a life for his license. He even has this conversation with Leslie once he, once he kind of decides that he's not going to kill Leslie and he instead uh, administers the sedative to one of Thorne's men he, um, you know, he even tells Leslie that a, a life is not worth his license. Uh, doesn't, it's not worth, worth training. And she has this really affirmative statement where she says, now you're talking like a doctor. Don't worry, it's just a sedative. We've got to get you out of here. Come on, this way. What about your brother, your license? Forget it, it's not worth someone's life. Now you're talking like a doctor. Um, I thought that was I thought that was really really great. And then uh, the very end of the episode, uh, Liam, we didn't really really get to touch on that j- just yet before we get into our scores here. But the very end of the episode, there's this great visual transition that we'll talk about in just a second um, in visuals, Liam. But it, it's it, we go from from uh, Matthew Thorne being on the roof to him being in this uh, interrogation room at at the police uh, at the police station, and Bruce walks in. Bruce Wayne happens to walk in and introduces himself to to Matthew Thorne and uh, says that he's willing to help him out with his his legal expenses, and uh, but he he wants something in exchange, and of course Matthew Thorne assumes at this point that it's something underhanded and says that he's not interested, but that's not, that's not what Bruce is looking for. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, this ending um, is I think one of the best endings to any episode that we've ever reviewed. Uh, I I genuinely felt that when I watched it. Bruce Wayne, Dr. Thorne, Thomas Wayne's son. Did you get my letter? Yes. Thomas Wayne. I told you I can help you with your legal costs. Maybe even put in a good word with the judge. Yes, but what do you get out of it? Well, there is something you can do for me. I knew it. I knew there'd be a catch. Sorry, Mr. Wayne. Matthew Thorne is no longer for sale. I'm not looking for any illegal favors. What then? Something you know. Something only you can give me. Tell me about my father. Uh, I think that's something we've talked about a lot with probably Batman Beyond more than anything else, is that sometimes the endings are very sudden or a little bit flat and they just don't have that nice wrap up um that maybe we're looking for um but this episode in particular it's such a great thing because throughout the whole episode we're sort of painted this picture of of matthew thorne as this you know he wasn't necessarily a bad person but he made a decision you know out of deference to his brother to that cost him his profession and he you know he made a series of questionable decisions ever since all leading to that moment where he chooses not to let, uh, you know, Thorne's men kill Leslie. And he finally chooses in that moment to make the right decisions. So, uh, so we're kind of painting this picture. And, and as you mentioned, we, we get that backstory, we get the exposition about uh, 
you know, him and, and Thomas and Leslie being, being great friends at medical school. So we have all of that backstory. So when we get to that scene and, and Bruce asks him for a favor in exchange for perhaps helping out with his legal troubles, uh, you know, uh, Matt, Matt Thorne is uh, understandably a little bit concerned and doesn't want to get involved with another, uh, you know, he doesn't want to trade one master for another one, so to speak. And, and, and Bruce instead says that, you know, he doesn't want anything illegal from him, doesn't even want anything medical from him at all. And uh, in fact, just he just wants him to tell him about his father and the, the whole like the and again, we'll get to this a little bit in visuals, too. But the the whole like energy of the scene changes as uh, as, you know, Matt, Matt, Matt's guard is up kind of the whole time as he's waiting for the shoe to drop with whatever this this rich playboy wants from him. And then when he finally figures out that all he wants is to, you know, hear hear some stories about his his dad. Um, it's really quite powerful and emotional and it becomes this very kind of warm ending and, uh, and it's, it's a really sweet ending to the story. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a really truly beautiful, vulnerable moment for, for Bruce Wayne that I don't necessarily know that we get to see all that often, um, at, you know, where, and it's such a sweet moment and it, it seems like a nice little happy ending where, Yes, this man that we've been following for this episode made a lot of terrible choices, but it it goes back to one of uh, Rupert Thorne's earliest appearances in an episode we covered. It's never too late, right? You can always yep. choose to be a good person, even if you weren't yesterday, if you weren't from every other day of your life, you can still choose to to change that and turn turn that, that life around. And, and Bruce Wayne sort of being a way to help help this guy. Uh, in exchange for for you know giving him some stories about his father is such a sweet ending to the story and I, and I really loved it yeah it's it's a great redemption arc for a guy who starts out the literal the literal beginning that we see him he's doing something shady to try and help help the mob and a, a guy not have fingerprints the next time he gets he you know he gets uh you know involved in something he shouldn't be that he could be held held accountable for and then at the very end he's he's doing he's helping someone heal like he's not he's not actually doing surgery he's not actually doing something that a doctor you would think a traditional doctor, a medical doctor would do, but he's helping to heal Bruce and having, helping him have this connection with his dad that, you know, stories about his dad that he may have never heard or, or, or a time where he didn't know um, his father or pieces of his, of his past that are missing with that. So really, really great. Yeah. Um, For all those reasons, Liam, as we, as we get into our scores here for, for our plot, uh, I really, really enjoyed this episode it is a little bit light on action uh so because of that that it's not bad uh, i think it's very well done and the story dr- really drives it and it's a, it's a pretty good story um you know I, it's not it's not perfect but i think it's a, it's a really good story overall uh for all those reasons uh, i ended up giving plot a eight out of ten what about you Nice. Yeah. I'm just a little bit higher there at a nine out of 10. Um, yeah. I, I think the ending is what brings it up for me because it does, you know, it does show that uh, that redemption for this, this person who again, wasn't, wasn't truly evil. He wasn't this heinous monster, but he did clearly do a lot of bad things and, and questionable things. And as you said, he, he chooses to, uh, you know, to, 
now 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 uses his powers for good so to speak and i think it's a it's a really powerful ending and that's kind of what brought my score up a little bit more all right cal and that will move us on to our visuals and animation section this week once again this episode was directed by frank parr with animation by dong yang uh like we said not a action heavy episode but uh, what stood out to you from a visual department yeah, it's not a not a ton of action beats here, but that didn't mean that there weren't some really awesome Batman moments. I think that very opening scene, as we have the uh, the thugs, Rupert Thorne's thugs, uh, are are knocking over an armored truck uh, that is transporting this prototype uh, laser, as we talked about, medical laser. Uh, there, that is an interesting scene because they use a they actually use a ambulance in order to knock over this uh, this this uh, this truck. So it's that it, that in and of itself is an interesting tool for them to use and kind of gives you the uh, right off the bat here the crime doctor is involved. Uh, mm-hmm. But then Batman Batman uh, kind of running alongside in a very sneakily fashion as they they're trying to get away in the shadows. There's a cut. To Batman running alongside the uh, the on on the bridge in the shadows, and you just kind of see the whites of the eyes and a little bit of the outline of his cape. I thought, what a great way to introduce Batman to this episode. And uh, there's some hijinks that in that uh, then later ensues as he jumps on top of the ambulance, and then at one point they try and run him over. He jumps on the hood, and his cape ends up blinding them, so they end up crashing into the side of the bridge. Uh, so lots, lots of fun right from the get-go in that opening scene. Um, and, and we do see what appears to be Batman dying, which is interesting, but he, of course, lands on a, on a, on a cable car that just happens to be going past and, uh, lucky, lucky for him. But, uh, that was one of the, one of the visuals that I thought that stuck out. Batman's cape looking, looking pretty cool. Is that, I think that qualifies for hashtag cape movement, right? With the cape blocking the, the windshield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, I think that, that, that definitely qualifies. It's, it's, that is a cool little sequence here. And, uh, that's one of those gags that like, I, I knew I had seen before, but I couldn't remember if, this was the first place I had seen that done where he uses the cape to uh, to block the guy's view and kind of causes the car to crash. That's yeah. It's one of those things where in addition to he wears this outfit to, to strike fear and all that. I like the idea that he finds like functional reasons to have a, a big flowing cape that goes all the way to his ankles. <laughs> An ostentatious accessory, like a cape. Yes, I agree. Um, so that that was that was the first one. I, I will say that most uh, most of the characters here. This is more of the square jawed Batman than it is the big droopy nose uh, swoop, swoop back ears Batman. I thought everybody for the most part looked on model. Uh, this Rupert Thorne this week decided to have whites behind his eyes for the entirety of the episode. <laughs> um, but they, they were able to keep that pretty consistent throughout the episode from what I noticed. And uh, everybody else seemed to be mostly on model. They're, they're, they did seem a little bit stiff at, at times, uh, some of the characters uh, in, in the way their movements. But I guess that's a little bit of nitpicking there. Um, there was, uh, I thought there was a, a cute moment when when Batman goes to to Leslie's uh, free clinic to to get checked up, and uh, 
as Batman is coming in, there's a, a young family that is in Leslie's office and she's, as she's ushering them out, there's a child who's pointing very, very fervently at Batman, uh, Batman's shadow, trying to get his, his mom's attention. And, uh, his mom, of course, paying him no <laughs> mind, but I thought that was a cute little, little, little thing there, uh, to, to show just how the kid had noticed Batman, but the mom was, was paying him no attention. Um, Oh, always interesting when when the kids get get to interact with Batman. Uh, <laughs> but then, but then uh, I I, th- I thought that the next next visuals that we that we really kind of were were notable would would come from uh, when Batman is interacting with this uh, this thug that looked a little bit like uh, the great Nostromos's uh, assistant from from uh, one of our past <laughs> episodes. Uh, and, uh, but it was not, I, I guess maybe it was not him, but he's throwing scalpels at Batman after Batman has sort of re-aggravated his concussion. Also a closed fish fist punch. Uh, they snuck that one past uh, standards and practices. It's a punch that connects, but there's sort of like a flash that occurs. So I guess you don't technically see the punch connect. Uh, the thug punches Batman. Uh, so that sort of reactivates his, his concussion symptoms. So we start to see double and triple, uh, of this, this thug that's hurling scalpels at Batman. Uh, very interesting there. And then I think that the main highlight, I think, as far as action sequences are concerned, happened in a very split second, but was another one of those moments where I was ready to, to punch the sky because uh, there's a <laughs> there's a scene where, where Leslie and, and Matthew Thorne are running away from the uh, additional Thorne thugs. They run into an elevator and as one elevator, as they escape them, the elevator goes up and the thugs are kind of left there banging the door and they notice that the other elevator to the right all of a sudden is coming up. And as the, the doors open, who's standing there in the shadows, but of course the Dark Knight himself and uh, more more fighting ensues as he, as he attacks the, the gentleman right there. But I thought that was a neat gimmick. Uh, the Batman Batman coming out of the elevator completely in the shadow to the surprise of the, uh, to the much to the surprise of the thugs, I thought was a, was a great, great little, little bit there that I, that I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, there's definitely some some cool Batman stuff. A little more because he's uh, he's been concussed. He's a little more gadget focused in the uh, in the final fight. We see him use smoke bombs. We see him, uh, you know, kind of sticking to the shadows and uh, rather than kind of entering a fist fight as the uh, the guy the the one larger thug with the uh, with the Tommy gun is opening fire on. Uh, boy, we, you know, people like to make jokes about stormtroopers in Star Wars having bad aim. But this guy, like, he pretty much has Leslie dead to rights, and somehow, he <laughs> uh, and and his gun is just continuously firing, and somehow <laughs> he can't hit her even once. But uh, nope, not once. But, uh, but yeah, Batman, rather than uh, kind of engaging in fisticuffs, uh, you know, just ties ties him up with the with the rope at, at at his ankles and kind of pulls him, and his head slams into the ground. He kind of knocks him out that way, and then we got what I think is probably the best animation of the episode, which is when, uh, you know, Leslie tries to leap across the building and it doesn't quite make it. And, and Thorne is kind of reaching out, holding her hand and she kind of slips out of his grip. And we get this like POV shot of Batman jumping off the building, his hands extend. He has the grappling hook as he swoops down, grabs her, fires the grappling hook and catches her and swings her to safety. And, as you mentioned, there's a there's a great transition at that point where uh, it pans up 
to uh, to Matt Thorne on the rooftop looking down, and that sort of transitions into that final scene of now he's sort of seated at a at a inter- in like an interrogation room, uh, just with his hands pla- clasped on the table the way that they were on the edge of the roof uh, in the previous scene. So a good little bit of symmetry there, and and then like I said, uh, just I love as as much as that is very much a story and and voice acting moment. Um, the that that the the body language of that final scene, like I said, of of, of Matt Thorne being so guarded and kind of ready for the shoe to drop, and then the way the way uh, Bruce kind of walks up to him is his shoulders a little bit slumped, and he kind of looks up to him in a very, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, I think a very innocent and childlike way, and for sure. with with so much kind of a mixture of sadness and hope in his eyes, just says you know tell me about my father and at that moment you see you see uh you know the crime doctor's body body language completely changed and becomes much more warm and sort of a fatherly to bruce at that point and puts his arm around him and they sort of slowly walk to the to the table and you see them they're both smiling now and and you see you know him sort of gesturing as he's beginning to tell the story whatever story so it's even even though that is such a a visual and uh, and uh, or it's it's much more of I think of a story beat or a or a voice acting moment normally I I thought the way they sort of interpreted everything from the body language to the way Bruce asks the question the the visuals really even enhanced that scene as well. No, absolutely, you're you're absolutely spot on with that, and we'll talk in a second when we move into music because music plays a very pivotal role in that as well. But it is it's there is no dialogue. It's it's just the sort of this realization that Matthew Thorne has is that he's for the last however many years he's he's been doing this, and even before then, before he lost his license, he was doing things on behalf of other people that ended up costing him that really cost him a lot uh, for, you know, he was, he sacrificed for the, for the better part of the last several years, maybe his morals and, and, and what he originally intended to do is he was coming out of medical school, you know, to, that, to take that oath to, to help people and to, to help heal people and, and, and uh, help people overcome sickness and all of that. And here he is kind of at a point in his life where he's older and he's realized that his life isn't what he had hoped it was and and there's there's even a contrast almost uh, a subtle contrast in the story between what he's doing and what Leslie is doing you know he's he's doing this underground underhanded you know stuff for the mob for the just the lowest of the low uh you know crime boss and 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 for the 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 people that are ruining the city and here's Leslie who came out of the same medical school and the same trio of people and she's running a free clinic in you know in the slums of Gotham for the low income families and for those the homeless and as we've seen in in her other uh you know in the other episode featuring her so it's really an interesting contrast between where they ended up in life and then at the end here for him to have this opportunity to have redemption and there's no dialogue for it it's simply all done in the way that the character was drawn um, and the way that he sort of reacts, it's such a great way to kind of punctuate that full redemption from where he started to, to where he ends up uh, in this episode. So I wholeheartedly agree. The fact that they didn't, there was no dialogue needed for that, that it was done completely visually and then with the music that we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, just really, really fantastic. 
Agreed. And uh, yeah, for, for all those reasons, Cal, uh, I, I ended up, despite not having a tremendous amount of action, in the, despite not having a tremendous amount of action in the episode, I, I still came up with a, a very strong eight out of 10 for my, uh, for my visual score. Nice. Yeah. I gave the exact same score. Uh, yeah. I think, I think the things that we talked about are, were strong enough to really carry an episode that was more story driven and that, that had more uh, reliance on dialogue and, and even some of the music points that we'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, it's, yeah, it's very, very, very strong still. The, the parts that they needed to be visually impactful, I think, I think were, and uh, may, even without having those those heavy you know battle scenes or you know as we said at the beginning no, not a brightly colored villain or you know and a, a crazy scheme that's happening you know to threaten the city of Gotham it's you know it's more of more of that uh, lower level story that the understated story that lies heavier on on the story itself rather than the visuals but still very very strong. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And uh, from one strong category to another, we move on to music. Music this week done by the late, great Shirley Walker. And uh, there are, because this episode is so character-driven, Cal, uh, music does not necessarily drive it the way it does in certain other episodes. However, uh, when the music comes in to punctuate certain scenes, Actually, right at the start, with the uh, with the when the when the title card first appears, there's a pretty dramatic theme. Uh, some of the the music, but when uh, when Rupert Thorne and and Matt are talking to each other, and then when uh, when Leslie is kidnapped, it's it's very good at uh, building atmosphere. And but there's uh, there's one specific moment uh, near the end again that I that I want to talk about that reminded me of a previous episode. But uh, what stood out to you from a musical standpoint this week? Yeah, I, I had I had a lot of notes actually for music. I think that first you're right that first scene uh, with both the heist and then Batman swooping in. Uh, there's a there's a strong theme that ends up playing pretty heavily throughout uh, the episode that returns again when uh, Matthew and Rupert Thorne are talking, and then again in the scene with uh, where where uh, Matthew Thorne goes to uh, goes to Leslie Tompkins clinic. And, uh, so there is a reoccurring theme that plays, uh, several times there and, uh, really drives, drives the music. And, and it's one that, again, this was not an episode that I would categorize as one of my favorites growing up. Um, mm-hmm. but as soon as I heard the theme and, and this has been an episode that I probably have not seen in several years at this point. Uh, so going back and revisiting it, it was a theme that I recalled. It was a theme that stuck in, in my head and, and, was like oh yeah this is that episode um so for 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 that to stick in my head for an episode that i hadn't seen very often and, and wasn't a favorite i think speaks to the, the level of the impact of the music um and and it's it just punctuates the scenes and creates the the emotional uh punch that it needs to when it when it's called it called upon um you know the the dread and the terror as leslie realizes that these men are, are breaking into her clinic and then when she's you know being forcibly kidnapped uh, to to come help this uh old friend of hers uh you know perform surgery on her brother on his brother uh you know the 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 tension is kind of built through that and um I, you know there's 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 some filler music where you know in in bruce fighting you know when batman's fighting the the thug that's trying to throw the scalpels at him and then hit him with the laser and 
especially I think the the scene when when Leslie's trying to jump across the roof uh, you know the music plays up in in those mm -hmm. scenes too but uh, I, I think we probably both had the same note uh, as you sort of alluded to in, in that final scene there the, the music uh, sort of calls back to to a, a previous episode yeah so the episode that came to mind for me is uh, nothing to fear mm -hmm. um, it's the third episode of the, uh, the series at least in production order it's the third episode we ever reviewed for our show and of course that whole episode is based around because of the fear toxin from the scarecrow Batman is having these visions of of his father telling him he's a disgrace and telling him that he's shaming the name of the family. And it all sort of comes to this, you know, triumphant conclusion where he conquers his fear and he vanquishes the villain. But the very final scene of that episode is this incredibly dark, sad ending where he is, where it's dark and cloudy and windy. And Bruce Wayne is in an overcoat with sunglasses on and he's standing at his parents' grave. And the musical cue in that episode, it's, it's, it starts out with a little bit of flute music and then the strings kind of are brought in underneath of it and we hear the Batman theme played very somberly. And as, mm -hmm. as, as Bruce walks away, the shadow cast has bat ears. It's a very dramatic, beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. um, and so at the end of this episode, uh, it, the flute starts out very similarly again, and it seems like we're building to that exact same crescendo. But this time, the Batman theme is played much more uh, jovially, and it's mm -hmm. because this episode is a much more happy ending where where Bruce is is getting a little bit more of a connection to his parents, specifically to his father in this episode. And the way, the way that they kind of took that similar feeling of Bruce being reminded of this great tragedy, the tragedy that drove him to, became, to become Batman originally, that drives everything that he does, to have that same musical theme be kind of brought back, and it's the familiar Batman theme, but to be played in similar, seemingly such a similar way, but then to sort of tweak it just a little bit to give it a little more sense of hope, a little more sense of optimism, uh, to fit this happier ending, I thought was such a brilliant, brilliant piece of music and a brilliant idea from from you know the 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 greatest of the greats when it comes to uh, you know superhero composers in my mind, and that's of course Shirley Walker. But what a brilliant idea to kind of take that similar musical cue, but just sort of tweak it to make it a bit more hopeful and a bit happier. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It was it's a great callback and it's one of those things that it fits the episode. As we said, it fits that final scene. It fits that sort of redemptive story for, for Matthew Thorne and Bruce, who um, you know, it, it isn't touched upon very heavily in the scene, but you can tell that when he sees the photo of 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 Thomas Wayne and, and Leslie Tompkins on her wall. Uh, he's 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 sort of drawn to it, and and in the the very first scene where where Bruce wanders into her clinic, and she makes mention of Thomas always saying that Bruce was stubborn from such a young age. You can kind of you can kind of sense that longing that Bruce has, that longing to connect to his father, whom you know he lost at such a very young age. Uh, so the fact that that final scene plays that, it, it very much completes and punctuates that redemption arc for Matthew. But also, 
the, like you said, like it, the fact that that Bruce now has this, it very well bookends that that kind of opening scene that, or that first scene where Thomas is mentioned, where he sort of longingly looks at this photo, you know, desiring to have this connection, and, and like you said, having that that callback to that episode where, you know, that whole nothing to fear, which you can hear in the archives at DCAUReview.com, is as you mentioned, is all about Bruce feeling like he's a disappointment to his father. So there's a there's a broken connection there. There's a wondering, you know, would would his father be proud of who he is? So even though that was sort of resolved in that episode, as you mentioned, there's still that, you know, it's still tragic. He still, his father is not here to say that he's proud of him. Um, so he's still longing for that. So for, for Matthew to, to kind of have this redemptive story arc and for it to punctuate that scene with absolutely no dialogue from that point where Bruce asks uh, for, for Matthew's help, man, it's just goosebump inducing. If you know the connection to the Nothing to Fear episode, it means even more as, as we, we are kind of talking about here. It mm. means more to us as we've reviewed these episodes and know that musical cue so you can point to it and say, oh my gosh, that's the Nothing to Fear musical cue. Um, but even without it, even if you didn't recognize it or if you haven't seen that episode in a long time, uh, I feel like it's, a, it's just a beautiful piece that incorporates the Batman theme and, and makes it feel just like a warm ending. I remember from watching that as a child, like, you know, you see him kind of, Matthew Thorne kind of gesturing and feeling very warm and that it, it just, it is a warm and fuzzy type of feeling, despite the fact that you know that this is Bruce connecting with his, or trying to connect with his dead father. Uh, yeah, just, it's a beautiful piece. It's done so incredibly well, Liam. Uh, I, I, you know, it's the rest of the music throughout the episode, I think is so strong as well. Uh, in the places that it's needed. The Batman theme is played uh, triumphantly, especially when, he's, when he saves Leslie falling from the, falling off of the roof. Uh, done, just, it's great. Uh, we've, we've been really blessed with a lot of great music over the last, uh, last couple episodes here as we've returned to Batman, the animated series. But uh, this episode in particular, really, really strong, especially with that piece. And I felt like with that piece alone, I had no choice but to give music a perfect 10 out of 10 nice yeah i am uh i am right there with you with the exact same score i uh, i also gave it a 10 out of 10 uh like i said i think i think the music throughout the episode is is great at sort of a building tension of of adding to these moments and there's no none none more perfect a moment uh in in there than uh than than that uh, that that last musical cue that we've just talked about so absolutely well-deserving and uh just just tremendous tremendous stuff and and definitely one that i want to make sure that i i go as much as i enjoyed listening to it just in the episode it's one that i'm like i'm gonna need to uh go on spotify and listen to just this the soundtrack by itself this week as as well because it's just it it really does just just the music alone uh evoked such strong emotions from me from what would already have been a pretty emotional scene so uh, great, great stuff in, in the music department this week. But Cal, that will bring us to our final category. And that is, of course, a voice acting. And it's interesting. This is sort of the reverse of normal where we don't we have plenty of players, none of them particularly in large roles. But we have a lot of notable voice uh, guest voice actors uh, in those uh, those small roles. So I'm going to got to list a few off here. Uh, some of the various thugs here uh, playing Hoffman. We have a uh, Roger Bumpus, 
who uh, folks would know best as a Squidward from SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> what do you uh, know? Yeah, uh, veteran voice actor, but uh, obviously there have been very few uh, cartoons in the history of the world that have had, I think, the impact, at least in at least in the United States, that, uh, that SpongeBob has as far as you know, multiple sure. generations of children uh, growing up on it now. So it was, it was really funny to see that that name pop up in there. Uh, we have a, a former SNL castmate, Gary Kroger as Beecham. Um, oh, okay. And the, and then playing uh, playing the thug Chubb, uh, we have a, a DCAU veteran, although I guess at this point he had not played those other roles yet. And that that is, of course, George Dunza, uh, of course, not only played Scarface and the ventriloquist in uh, in uh, in this series, but uh, also, of course, goes on to play Perry White in Superman, the animated series. So uh, that one was a little distracting just because he's basically doing the Scarface voice. Good work, Doc. Me and the boys will take it from here with the old lady, I mean. Thank you, Tony, but I'd rather see Dr. Tompkins home myself. Sorry, Doc, you don't understand. We can't let her talk about this place, see? Before he went under, Mr. Thorne said to us, when it's over, make sure you shut her up. Yeah, it was it was it was hard to not yeah, it's hard to not hear. I was like, this is not right. <laughs> and he probably has the most dialogue of any of the uh, of the thugs in the episode again not his fault not that he did anything wrong it's just when you know the voice uh, so well um it's 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 a little distracting but and then uh, our sort of our main guest characters we have a uh, diana Mulder returning as a uh, leslie tompkins who doesn't get quite as much dialogue i think as her her first uh, her first appearance back in appointment in crime alley but like I said, I, I really like this, the, the first scene where Batman comes to her clinic injured and she's 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 both warm, but sort of a lecture says something of a lecturing tone. But you can tell it's a very familial uh, relationship that these two have. And, you know, when she's talking, when she's telling him about how his father, you know, always talked about him having a hard head and being stubborn and all of that. And and, and I, I, I liked her in this episode and, and the way her her composure completely changes when she she realizes that it's matt thorne coming to see her and she sort of is aware he has a reputation of of being this crime doctor so she's not exactly thrilled to see him and then you know just after the surgery she's not surprised when uh, it appears that they're coming to shut her up so i i think she does a pretty good job in this episode as well yeah i, th- I think that she she comes across just kind of being world weary and uh, both in her interactions with with Bruce and then later with Matthew Thorne, but her her sort of uh, I, I would say trying to get through to 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 Matthew Thorne a little bit and then kind of being pleasantly surprised once he once he kind of reveals that he's he's come to his senses and is is kind of back on the good side. Uh, I thought that that was done pretty well. Agreed. And uh, we have, of course, John Vernon returning as Rupert Thorne, although briefly, as obviously he has this health condition and we don't actually see him post uh, post the surgery in this episode so we do get the the scene with him and uh, the actor playing uh, matt thorne or the crime doctor joseph campanella uh there i like i like that first interaction there that feels like something out great of chemistry 
it feels like out of Goodfellas or something. Like, yeah, like it's yeah. Really, it's straight out of like a mob movie. That that first scene of the, uh, you know, the the brothers arguing. The one brother who was trying to live this noble life as a doctor who was sort of dragged down into the mud by his brother's criminal organization and 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 all that. And there, there's there's this contempt, but at the same time, when it's clear that Rupert's life is in danger you do see Matt, that Matt, you know, it's, they're still brothers at the end of it. And Matt still does care for him. And then, you know, ultimately is willing to, to do these, to do more e- evil or bad things to, to save his brother. So it's, it's a really interesting uh, dynamic, even though they don't share that many scenes together. Yeah. And I think, I think the difference between Rupert and, and Matthew, like Rupert, Rupert is so over the top and very dramatic in the way that he delivers all of his lines and, you know, puts sort of a, an emphasis on a, every, every word that he's saying and coming out of his mouth is this powerful word from a mob boss. And, and the way that, that, uh, that Matthew's dialogue is, is much under, much more understated. It's much more calm. And uh, even in the face of, of, you know, this idea that he, might might have to come up with a, a plan to try and outwit his his brother's thugs so that he doesn't kill this doctor like he's very calm and he's very collected and which makes sense for a doctor that has to go into surgery you know despite you know you got to keep your cool and your calm and under under pressure so i i really like the the difference in the dynamic between the two of them it really kind of sets them apart uh in, in kind of their personalities and in, in the way that they they uh, they did that. Uh, I believe you said Mr. Campanella had uh, had quite the long history of acting, but nothing of like cultural relevance. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's uh, he was on a show called One Day at a Time for several years. He was on a show called Mannix for for several years, like multiple shows, some soap, some soap operas. I saw, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. as well as uh, some other some other guest spots on even. Even into his uh, his his later years, he's he's sadly no longer with us. But uh, but yeah, he was a you know kind of kind of a character actor, I guess you would say. He kind of popped up here and there, and I guess had some had some uh, some TV and film roles. Although uh, fam- most famously, I think in in our wheelhouse, he was the uh, the voice of Kurt Connors, aka the Lizard, on uh, the. He, uh, we're gonna have to do a, a bonus episode on it someday. <laughs> maybe ne- maybe next April Fool's Day or something. But, uh, <laughs> Spider-Man, the animated series from uh, from 1994. Uh, he was uh, Dr. Kurt Connors on that show, and I, it's one of those things where I kind of recognized the voice, but I wasn't sure from where. And then Correct. I was I was looking at the IMDb page for him, and I saw that I went, "Oh, yep, that's it. There it is." So uh, uh, I, I think he does a fine job. I don't think, uh, like I said, I think his best work is the that first scene with with Rupert Thorne with, uh, uh, and then that uh, with with John Vernon, and then that that final scene with uh, with Kevin Conroy. Again, I, I keep coming back to it because it was such a such a perfect scene. Um, but again, the the guarded nature of his voice in that in that final scene. And uh, up, up to kind of, the, again, that's sort of the last few words of the episode that he utters are, are very sort of defiant and, and angry. And then when, when Kevin Conroy, in a, like I said, a very sort of sheepish, childlike way asks him, you know, tell me about my father. It's, 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 such, a, it's such a beautiful way to end the episode. And, you know, Kevin Conroy, again, doesn't have a ton to do in this episode because it focuses so much on on this crime doctor and, and Leslie and, and Rupert Thorne to a lesser extent, but uh, 
the uh, like I said, I, I really enjoyed the first scene with him and then Diana Mulder as Leslie, and then that that final little bit there with him in. It's also something where I think a lot of times the Bruce Wayne voice that that Kevin Kevin Conroy does, especially in these original episodes, um, a lot of times it's played for comedy because like, well, we know how he actually talks and he doesn't talk like this. But like there's so him being able to communicate like honesty and vulnerability while still doing the Bruce Wayne voice Mm -hmm. like. I know it's not breaking news here on this show, 154 episodes in, <laughs> but like I was, I was marveling at that line delivery. Cause I'm like, he's doing, he's, he doesn't go into the Batman voice. It's not like he completely pulls the facade down. Right. He's still being public figure Bruce Wayne in that moment, but it's so deeply earnest and honest when he asks him, when he says, tell me about my father. That I was like, how, how did he do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, breaking news. Kevin Conroy, really good. Um, <laughs> it's 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 really really it's done really really well. Uh, there's even I think even an interaction between him and uh, the brief appearance that we get from Ephraim Zembles Jr.'s Alfred. Uh, I think I think there's some good dialogue there that sort of continues where we kind of left off last week. Mudslide. Uh, which of course you can hear in the archives if you didn't check that out. But uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, Kevin Conroy doesn't have a lot to do in this episode. Uh, it is very much uh, more on Mr. Campanella's shoulders to carry the episode. And I, for the record, I think he does, he does a pretty good job for what he's asked to do. And it, it's uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit understated at times, but I think that's the character, but mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, th- I think, I think you're right. The nuance of, of, of Bruce's or of Kevin Conroy's performance of Bruce in that final scene is is really really great I love picking up on that sort of like that uh that little bit of what we know about the character and kind of like looking at that and seeing that this is actually is genuine genuine Bruce but still Bruce facade I love that uh I love love pointing that out but uh yeah I I think the performances for this week's voices are, are really really great um you know uh, I, I think that uh, that Mr. Campanella did, did a very, very good job. And, but, you know, it, there there isn't a whole lot other than that scene with Rupert Thorne where he really had to sort of evoke much emotion. Um, and so so most of it goes on onto Kevin Conroy's shoulders for those those brief scenes that he's in. But uh, for all of those reasons, uh, I ended up giving voice acting a very strong nine out of ten. <laughs> and I gave it the exact same score of nine out of 10. Nice. At this point, I will once again remind the listeners that uh, we do not <laughs> discuss our stores. Uh, we do not plan this, but it, uh, it does tend to happen more often than not. We usually end up similar, if not the exact same on, uh, on quite a few of these, but uh, yeah, definitely some great uh, vocal performances and uh, I believe that will begin to wrap us up and bring us to our final scores this week, Cal. And uh, tallying everything up, I have a very strong final score of 36 out of 40. That's right. And while I did consider giving a bonus point uh, for another, I will just sh- shout it out. Uh, I'm not going to give it uh, for the third week in a row, but yet another great uh, title card for Agreed. this week's episode. <laughs> uh, you know, the, I, I, I did consider it, but I was like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to lay off giving a bonus point for this week because while I, you know, you could arguably could give it, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to this week, but another great one. 
uh, go, go out of your way to take a look at it. I think everything from the text that's a very uh, pulp, pulpy 1930s, 1940s uh, pulp comic or, or you know, uh, one of those noir uh, detective story comic books that got uh, the comic authority code created uh, <laughs> sort of text a- across the top of it or, you know, a, a, a pulpy C- C-list movie of the 1940s or 50s uh, sort of text overlaid this very creepy outline of a, of a doctor's face, you know, holding a syringe. So very, very interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, our, my score ended up being a 35 out of 40. So just a, a notch below <laughs> your, your 36 out of 40. But uh, I guess uh, talking about rewatchability here, Liam, in the grand scheme of the DCAU, of Batman the Animated Series, um, this, isn't, this isn't as impactful. I think because we're going to link this a little bit to Nothing to Fear based on some of the story, mm-hmm. story here. Maybe link it to Appointment in Crime Alley with some of the characters being played here. Maybe ne- it's never too late with some of the, the story, the way that the story goes and the redemption of it and the, the heaviness and the, the less, the less uh, supervillain-centric and more, more character-driven story. But... Uh, where do you land as far as I, I, I'm struggling on the, I, I don't think this is a must watch, <laughs> but I think it's, it's an enjoyable watch. And it's one that I would definitely recommend to somebody if you're looking to recommend a non-traditional like beat em up bad guy story. Yeah, it's just kind of a head in the heart or fighting on this one for me, because <laughs> uh, heart definitely says this is must watch just for that final scene alone. Um but no, in the grand scheme of things, Leslie obviously is a reoccurring character, but appears in other episodes and they kind of give you her backstory in those episodes as well. So you don't need to watch it for that. Rupert Thorne appears in many other episodes. Uh, and, you know, it's, he's a mob boss. You don't need a lot of context beyond that. Um, and uh, the character of Matt Thorne never, never returns. So, um, yeah, it's hard to say that this is must watch, especially if we're talking about the grand scope of the in, the entire dcau but man it's so good it's such a good strong episode and it ends on such a high note uh that it's it's tough for me to say that you don't have to watch this one but uh yeah i'll i'll, I'll settle on that i think it's great i think you should but i can't say that you have to if that makes yeah sense. no I, I i agree with that and one thing we didn't mention as we were kind of getting into the the plot or or even an introduction here but one thing that i found interesting is this this was a a a villain uh the crime doctor was a villain that actually has been used in dc standard dc continuity uh since uh detective comics number 77 i believe was when he made his original debut matthew thorne did Uh, he's credited as being created by by bill finger and bob kane uh, so it's interesting. This character has such a re- rich, deep history, and sort of uh, regained some of his uh, his popularity or usage in the D- DC continuity right after uh, the post uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths 
uh, world and 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 uh, continuity in in D standard DC comics. So uh, that that of course taking place just a few years before Batman the animated series relaunched. So it's interesting that they took this sort of lesser known DC character and because they had already established Rupert Thorne as as a villain in this series, kind of using this long standing villain that you might not know very much about, which I I feel like. DC, you know, the DCAU did so well with, and certainly some of these Batman animated series episodes, the writers were able to take some of those older DC characters and, and certainly Batman characters, the Hugo Stranges, certainly as we've talked about it numerous times, Mr. Freeze, you know, some of these lesser known characters or, or afterthoughts and really turn them into interesting uh, characters that that you can actually build an actual realistic story around. So uh, more kudos to the, the the four writers and and certainly the team over it uh, that that produced this because uh, taking a crime doctor and making it uh, sort of grounded in reality was uh, was no easy feat. Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's a fun wacky little character. It's it's a very like Grant Morrison thing to do to take this like wacky golden age character and uh, and ground them and and make them uh, like an integral part of a of a story like this so I, yeah it was sure. it was a cool deep deep cut character to bring into the show um but yeah that will uh, that'll begin to wrap us up thank you so much to everyone for listening uh, whether you listen to us on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify on uh, on dcaureview.com or any of your other podcast apps or of course if you prefer to consume your podcasts via youtube you can always check us out on the pod tower youtube channel we we are there along with our friends from tim talk as well as the watchtower database and uh, you can always check us out there go ahead and give us a subscribe even if you don't you don't use it we could use the subscribers uh and uh so we'd, we'd love if you could uh, go up there and subscribe because again it's not just our content you get some some great content from our friends as well so definitely check that out as well and cal we uh we've got some exciting plans for may but before we get there we have one final episode of batman to review next week in the last week of april that will actually kind of serve as a linchpin to our special month of may and uh, we will be talking about one of the first big DC hero crossover appearances in the history of the DCAU, because next week we are reviewing a little episode called Zatanna. That is right, Liam. Uh, yeah, maybe one at the time. Uh, as a child, we did not appreciate as a crossover and, and not really knowing the depth of the DCAU, but one of those crossovers that the uh, the writers snuck in early on, and uh, it is certainly, from my recollection, a very memorable, important episode. Uh, it does broaden the horizons a little bit. We deal with a little bit of magic. Uh, we learn a little bit about Bruce's past and uh, some of his romances and... Uh, it's uh, it's going to be loads of fun, as you mentioned and alluded to, as we'll talk to you next week. That is going to be a launching point for our May coverage, which we will discuss uh, next week's episode. Can't wait to do that. Absolutely, and we can't wait to get to that episode and beyond. But until then, I'm Liam. And I'm Cal. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye. <laughs>